Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to John. When it was evening of the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Spirit. Amen. Be seated. So one of my favorite moments from broadcast history happened in 1938 on October 30th when Orson Welles aired a show. Who's from War of the World, right? Yes. So the story of this, if you're not familiar with it, is that it started with a brief announcement that this was the radio show, and, and not to be alarmed, it was all fiction, and not to be alarmed, um, because you see, Orson Welles had written it in a very different format than all other radio programs. He wrote it so that it would start like a normal radio program with music and talking, and then other actors would break in as if they were newscasters breaking into a regularly scheduled program. Dee, 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 dee. Yes. Uh, and so, that would break in and get everyone's attention, and these actors acted as though they were reporting from the field of this national crisis that had just occurred. Martians had landed, right? Now, this is before TV. Everyone listens to the radio. Everyone gets their news from the radio. It's the only way they get their news, unless they're at the cinema, right? And so this was a fascinating concept. Yeah, really artistic, very creative. Here's the problem. If you were five minutes late to the program, 
you see what happened. If you're five minutes late to the program, you're just rocking along all of a sudden. Dee, 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 dee. Panic happened. Absolute panic. So it was another 40 minutes before they renewed the announcement that said, P.S., this is all fiction. 40 minutes later, okay? It created mass hysteria in our country. I mean, mass hysteria. If you tuned in five minutes late and then didn't stick around 40 minutes into the program, um, there was a 30-minute window of time, a good 30-minute window of time that people really thought Martians had landed on the planet in the United States, really thought they had landed. It's 1938. You know, it's possible. We've been through a lot by that point. Why not Martians too? So panic happened, and people turned off their radio and ran down and locked the door in their cellars. They got in their car and started driving to get away. Some people even wrapped wet towels around their head because they thought, I guess it was part of the program, that this would protect them from the radiation that the Martians brought. <laughs> and the, the hysteria was so huge, it, it was a fault. So it's a radio program that's a fictional account of a national crisis that actually caused a national crisis because not everybody was in on the joke. And it was so severe that there was a public backlash that started to demand more regulation of broadcasting programming because everyone felt like they were made to be fool seen as foolish, right? They had been duped. I love this story. And it's used in a lot of lectures about um, communications as well as the power of mass hysteria and not understanding the whole story. Ah, now we come to the meat of the day. In much of our Christian theology, we too are living in a 30-minute section of the gospel narrative where we aren't listening to the major announcements that unveil for us what's actually happening. We tend to hook into a 30-minute section of the gospel narrative, just like those poor folks. I feel so bad for them, but it is kind of funny. <laughs> This is not as funny. So that 30-minute part of the gospel radio program that so many of us have hooked into all too heartily is something called substitutionary atonement. Oh, my word, that's a mouthful. Substitutionary atonement. This is what this looks like. And it's a very familiar theology. It's something we inherited from our Jewish brothers and sisters because the temple, the whole purpose of the temple is to house God and be a place where you can offer sacrifice to God. Because sacrifice of animals at the time was a substitution for yourself for atonement of sin. Right? You, this is why Jesus was upset with the money changers. You would change your money into temple money and then buy an animal that then could be sacrificed at the altar in your place. So if I can buy an animal so that I don't have to be sacrificed, because y'all, we're not into that. <laughs> so if I can buy an animal and put my sins on that animal and the animal be sacrificed, that's a substitute for the atonement I am seeking. Yes. Now, this takes form in, or, or evolves in our Christian theology, and rightfully so. It's a part of our history, a part of our understanding of the, of the sacrifice and crucifixion of Christ, that Christ died as a one-time sacrifice for all, for all time. He's the ultimate substitution for our, the whole world's 
need of atonement. So he becomes the lamb that is sacrificed. Now we're getting into familiar language. He becomes the lamb that is sacrificed on behalf of us all so that animal sacrifice is no longer necessary. No sacrifice in that form is necessary any longer because God himself took on the need for atonement and sacrificed himself for us all. Yes, this is familiar. Yes, of course it is. Jesus Christ died for me that I might be washed clean by the blood of the lamb, right? Because I am corrupt thanks to original sin. We are all corrupt and therefore there needs to be an ultimate act, Jesus as the new Adam. There needs to be a new act of, of atoning the whole world, right? Of forgiving the whole world. Jesus died that we all might have forgiveness. Yes, this is very familiar territory. So much of our hymnody is based on it. Our prayers on Good Friday, we hear so much of this language, even in our Eucharistic prayers. Yes, that's an important part of our Christian theology. However, we love to set camp in that part. We love to set, like, like let us just live in that because that's comforting news, isn't it? Right? I might have done some bad things, but it's okay. Jesus paid the price. I am now redeemed, and we're good. As long as I say that I believe in Jesus, because that's the other piece of it, right, is that we have to earn it in some way. So I have to say I believe in Jesus, that Jesus did that. Therefore, I'm okay. I've got life eternal, because that's the way it works. Here's the problem. To only live in that one room of Christian theology is to, once again, form our Christian faith around our economy. Now, you have heard me talk about how it's not a good idea to apply our rules of economy to the gospel. It does not work. When I go to the market, yes, I want transactional economy. I want to I know that my milk is $5 now. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, at times, 4 to $5, depending on the milk. I want to know that I have a $5 bill. I give it to you. You give me the milk. That's transactional economy. I want to know that when I go to the marketplace. Does not apply when we open the Bible, but we want it to because it's comforting. It's familiar. You know, it's cut and dry. If I owe somebody $2,000 and I've been paying $5 a month on it, it's going to take me a long time to get there. And then someone else comes and pays that bill, my relationship with the person to whom I'm indebted ends, right? Credit card company and I don't have to know each other's names anymore, right? And it really isn't important, necessarily not for the working of the economy, that I know who even paid the bill. I might want to, but it's not necessary for life. That debt is forgiven. Ah, that debt is forgiven. So here's the problem. If that's where we stop, then it ceases to be relational. You'll notice in our language for today, especially in the collect, that what we say is not forgiveness, but reconciliation. Did you catch that? That there is a new covenant of reconciliation that comes through the resurrection of Christ. In the 1979 prayer book, when the 28 was being revised and the 79 was released with great intention, the authors of the 79 prayer book changed the language of the sacrament of confession and absolution to, the to a sacrament called the reconciliation of a penitent. Because the stories we start hearing today, from today to Pentecost Sunday, 
Those are the stories of reconciliation. If we only hook into substitutionary atonement and say that's the end of the story, then we stopped last Sunday. Our faith maturity stopped last Sunday. If that's what the story was all about, these stories these next few weeks would be irrelevant. Who cares? Why, why would it be necessary for Jesus in resurrected form to appear to anyone if it was only about a transaction, right? If I have my debt paid, there's no point in me running all over town and say, you know, good news, there's good news, everyone come and believe, and, you know, the person who paid my debt, that would not be important to the story. The debt was paid, end of discussion. If what was demanded was that God have someone pay a debt for everyone, that the world would have a chance at redemption, that happens at the cross. At the cross, the resurrection itself isn't even important. If it's only about transaction, our story would have ended last Sunday, really last Friday. So what's the point? So what's happening here? Why do we spend the next six weeks reading all of these stories of Jesus appearing again and again to his people after the crucifixion and resurrection? Because it's not just about forgiveness. It's about reconciliation. It's about relationship. It's not about transaction, it's about transformation. You are people, we are people of a resurrected Lord. So now what? What does that mean now in our lives for who we are in the world? The next part of the collect says, let us show forth in our lives what we proclaim in our hearts. Because if it's just about transaction, who cares what you do with your life? The debt is paid, don't make a big deal out of it. It is about so much more. It's about the transformation of our hearts, our souls, the way we act in the world, the way we behave. It's about being the body of Christ in the world. I love this story of Thomas because Thomas is the test case for the disciples on how good of a job they're going to do at spreading the good news. P.S. not so hot. Right? Thomas is the first person that they have to preach the good news of the resurrected Lord to. Could have done a little bit better job, disciples. Thomas is not buying it. Right? So, an invitation, friends. An invitation in this season of Easter. Right? Understand and listen. Pay attention. Tune in. Turn on your radar, if you will. Be listening for the stories to come of how the resurrected Christ showed up, interacted, the messages he gave, the job he gave to the disciples, and then after the resurrected Christ ascends, what's this Holy Spirit business? Why does the Holy Spirit exist at all? If it's only transactional, then what's the point of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit doesn't have a job at all. So pay attention, listen, make sure you're not camped out in the I believe in Christ, so therefore I'm getting into heaven because I believe he paid one time price for everyone. Make sure you're not camping out in that territory. That's the jumping off point. If you're camping out there, you're not even in the shallow end of the pool. You have one toe in the water. <laughs> so accept this invitation in the Easter season to explore, to renew, to recommit, and to be transformed. Amen.